Welcome to another episode of the Equip Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Claiborne, talking to you today about Romans Bible Study once again. Uh, we are in the twilight of our time together. We have one more week, and we're finishing up Romans chapter 8. Uh, yesterday, in our time together, we spent, honestly, we spent most of the time talking about uh, verses 18 through 25. Um, and as is not unusual, that ended up with us jumping back to Genesis for a little bit and then coming back into Romans. Uh, and so kind of the, the way the flow of the discussion started is um, we, someone asked a question about verse, uh, verse 20. Yeah, verse 20. Um, that says, uh, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. So the question is, who's the him in verse 20? Um, and there's not a lot of options. It's God, Adam, or uh, we could say Satan if we wanted to, if we wanted to throw someone else out there powerful enough to do that sort of thing. Um but just grammatically, it's not clear who the hymn would refer back to. So then we have to answer it more theologically. Uh, so we went back to Genesis 3 just to read through the account of the fall, read through the account of really just the curses that start in 14. And then we note that um, Adam and Eve themselves are not cursed, but the serpent and the ground is uh, and so the ground, it's not just the ground that they're standing on. It's going to be symbolic of the entire earth. Um, and so that cursing would be God's doing. Um, we talked a little bit as well about uh, what it says for the man and the woman. In particular, um, it's not that work is a new thing. It's that work is difficult um, for the man to provide. Uh, and it's not that childbirth was going to be pain-free previously, and now there's pain so much as the, the pain is multiplied. Uh, and so then it actually makes it interesting as you keep reading, uh, when you get to verse 22, of, of the types of metaphor, uh, not metaphors, of the types of, I guess, illustrations Paul could use, he says in verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So he could have, put, he could have picked a lot of imagery, different images, um, to illustrate how creation has been groaning, uh, but he picks the pains of childbirth. And I, I think that's to intentionally tie this back to Genesis um, and the actual passage itself where um, creation was subjected to futility. Um, so we see that there. We also see someone else pointed out that there is uh, creation is personified in this little section here. Uh, verse 19, for creation waits. Um, and then um, what we were just reading, creation has been groaning. Um, and so it's, it's, creation is almost tre treated as a person, as an entity in and of itself, to personify what's going on here, uh, which kind of helps us see uh, we're part of creation, and yet we're over and above it in another sense. But if, we're, if we do have to draw a dividing line between creature and creator, uh, we're definitely in the creature part of that equation. Uh, we image our creator, but we're definitely part of creation. So as we read on from there, um, 
And actually, it, interesting how groaning is kind of a key word. There's verse 22, gro- creation is groaning together in the pains of childbirth. Uh, we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption. In particular, we wait for our, the redemption of our bodies. Uh, and then we go down and we see that uh, the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So Paul's obviously trying to draw a connection between these two sections using a key verb like that, uh, or a key word like that. Uh, we talked a little bit as well about the end of this section, 24 and 25, about hope um, and how um, hope is based on what we do not see. Uh, and it tied into something I'd been reading that talks about how in the um, part of the way God leads us now is by sound. And we're called to listen to his voice. We're called to listen to his word. And so the ear is kind of this primary organ that God uh, connects with us through. But eventually the hope is that we will see him face to face. And so we're, the shift to vision is something that we are hoping for, that we will be experiencing in heaven. So we talked, we teased that out a little bit, and then we we jumped down into section uh, with 26 through 30, talked about prayer, talked about how the Spirit works through our words and prayers, interceding for us, and interceding according to the will of God, not according to our will. Uh, And one of the ways you could even frame that is a primary purpose of prayer is not so much to align God's heart to mine, but to align my heart to God's. And I think the Spirit's intercession is a way that that happens for us. Uh, From there, we talked about verse 28, the one that everyone is probably most familiar with. We know that uh, God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, We talked about what good is in this passage. And so how would we define good? And it says a little bit further on that the purpose that he's called us to is to be conformed to the image of his son. So good in this case is making me more like Jesus. So I can know that all things work together for me if I love God uh, and they're working for my good, but my good is defined not by what I would want or what I think is best, but by what would make me more like Jesus. we pointed out too, uh, someone pointed out in verse 30 as we kind of finish up there that he has these, gets through these big terms, predestination, calling, justification, glorification. Um, <clears throat> and uh, someone asked why sanctification isn't mentioned in here. And so we zoomed out a little bit and uh, this is a great passage to illustrate. This whole passage is about sanctification, but the word itself is not used directly. And so if we're limiting, um, if we talked about the, it's called the word concept distinction. So if I wanted to do a study of what the Bible says about sanctification and I limit myself to places where it explicitly uses word like holy, made holy, sanctify, uh, or kind of that related word, I would miss a passage like this, which is about um, how God makes us more like Jesus, which is sanctification because it doesn't use any of the key words. So the concept is very present in this passage, even if some of the key words are not. Um, We didn't really get too far into talking about predestination. Um, We talked a little bit about foreknowledge, but really in the context of how God knows things in general Um, and what God knows 
is something we can't fully know because he's God and we're not. Uh, but how God knows, we often can lapse into thinking that God knows things the same way a human might. Um, so if I want to know something, I have to go investigate. I have to go look. I have to go see for myself, and then I can know for sure. And sometimes we imagine that God just does that on a more cosmic scale. Uh, but the reality would be if God's eternal and God's um, outside of time, it's unlike you and I who live in one place at one time, God exists fully in all places at all times. And so what is future to us is something that would be present for God. And so the way he would know it would not be by investigation. He wouldn't have to go look into the future and see, because he's already fully present in the future in a way that I'm not. But we would also know, we would also want to say that God doesn't know his creation by checking it out and observing it because he knows his creation, because he knows the plan that he has for his creation, and he knows it at a level of intimacy that's far different than anything I would know, or far different from a way I would go about knowing. And so to say he foreknew, it's, it's getting at this idea that he knew before we did, but it's not as if he's looking into the future to see things because he's not stuck in one place at one time needing to look into the future. Um, so it gets really heavy really fast if we start trying to tease some of that out. Um, and at that point, we were kind of out of time anyways. So this last week, we may dip back into uh, this section here we were just talking about. But for the most part, we're going to focus on 31 through 39. So I'll read through it real quick and just kind of tease out a few things that I think will be part of our discussion. So Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed, is, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, that last uh, two verses there has been our benediction at the end of our sermon series. So we've been hearing those, even if we weren't already familiar with those verses, we've been hearing them. Uh, this entire time. So we'll definitely zoom in there and talk about what all that list entails. Uh, we'll also look at this as it is written. Um, we haven't had, uh, we've had Old Testament allusions and connection points. We may go back and look at the Psalm uh, that verse 36 is pulled from. 
Um, but really, we, it may just be a finalizing discussion where we focus on any loose ends left over from Romans 8 that we didn't talk about that we need to, um, and zoom in in a few places here in this last section. And then this will be our last formal Romans Bible study meeting uh, since our series in Romans is ending. We've been in talks about a continuing plan for the month of June. Uh, and I think we will do that, but I will hop on here and explain what that might be uh, once we uh, finalize commitment. It, it really comes down to numbers in some sense. So if enough people are committed to it, then we'll add something for the month of June. Um, so hopefully if you're listening here, you're going to s- join us on Sunday uh, to finish up the discussion with Romans 8. And we will move on to something new in June. Thank you.